Welcome to the Geneva Peace Week podcast series, a project of the Geneva Peacebuilding Platform. Geneva Peace Week is a leading annual forum in the international peacebuilding calendar. It's a week of events, workshops, videos, and podcasts just like this one, hosted by different organizations and actors around the world. Founded on the core belief that each person, actor, and institution has a role to play in building peace and resolving conflict. You're listening to a podcast produced for Geneva Peace Week 2020, held from the 2nd to the 6th of November with both live events and pre-recorded contributions. For more content like this, join the conversation at genevapeaceweek.ch. Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode about careers in peacebuilding. Today was an interview with Dr. Claudia Seymour and a lot of questions and conversations about her course on ethics, power, and privilege. Of course, this is a really important topic as we consider careers in peacebuilding. And so this episode is just an interview and conversation with Dr. Seymour on these topics. Dr. Claudia Seymour is an applied social researcher with 20 years of experience working primarily in conflict-affected environments. Her research specializations include youth, child protection, resilience to armed violence, youth migration, and young people's engagement with violence and peace. She has extensive experience working with the United Nations and as a research consultant for a range of international NGOs and think tanks with a focus on Sub-Saharan Africa. She's a trainer in protection and human rights and a lecturer and convener in master's courses on the political economy of violence and conflict management. Her current research project, Balancing on the Margins, Young People's Pathways to Engaging with slash Transforming Violence, is a comparative interdisciplinary inquiry into how young people cope with and make sense of violence, drawing on mixed methods, including ethnography, narratives, and the practice of yoga and pranayama. She's the author of The Myth of International Protection, War and Survival in Congo, published by the University of California Press in 2019. And she is also my coworker and dear friend at the Geneva Peacebuilding Platform, so it was truly a pleasure to get to interview her today. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, Claudia. Thank you for being here. Hi, Annika. It's great to be here. (laughs) So everybody, this is Claudia, and she is here today because she is teaching a course on ethics, power, and privilege. And as we know, as we instinctively know, this is a course that is very much needed in the world. So Claudia, I'd really just like to start our conversation by understanding more about why you wanted to teach this course. Why do you think it matters? Gosh, thanks, Annika. And indeed, I had this great chance to be able to offer this course that I've been asking the Graduate Institute to to run for the last couple of years. Um, My work as a former protection person working in conflict zones is what brought me to Geneva in the first place and what had me sort of engaging in international uh, affairs relating to conflict and peace building. And over the years, I realized that we are teaching the youngest, brightest minds, the next generation of peace actors in the world, but we're not actually equipping them with the 
with the real critical skills, the capacity to be reflexive, the capacity to engage more honestly in the world. Um, so the desire was to, to do a course that's based on my own experience, that pulls on, on my background, that I could share and offer to the students so that they might be able to face the, the terrible challenges of, of doing work around violence and in conflict uh, in the world more effectively. That's incredible. What exactly, what exactly do you mean when you say ethics, power, and privilege? Goodness. Well, I think here in 2020, we're at a time where people in general are thinking more about it than they ever have in the past. Um, how do we engage in the world? What are the assumptions that we're making when we're going out to quote unquote do good? And in those assumptions, there is a lot of power, the power of privilege, the power of assumptions that kind of is sort of the, it's sort of the, the remnants of, of a history of colonialism, um, of sort of spreading out into the world to, to give, quote unquote, give, or to impose a way of being. Um, and what I had seen through, through my work and, and for myself, for my own early engagement in this, was this cultural arrogance of, of a sort and a belief that what I had to offer was actually what others needed. Um, so much of the international uh, aid architecture is still based on these assumptions and there's not enough questioning about them. And there, for me, this is a, this is a moral question and, and an ethical question. Uh, what we end up hiding behind are the sort of do good principles. You know, we are trying to work to end suffering, to reduce inequality, but there is very little questioning about, well, why is the suffering happening? What are the structures that are making this inequality continue in 2020 when it doesn't have to be? Um, so with the students, and in this, this is our, our first year, we're 28 students, we're together unpacking what does that really mean? And this involves difficult questions. Um, and uncomfortable answers often. So my hope is that this, you know, first cohort of students are going to be part of this going out into the world to engage difficult questions and, and confront them with courage, but also with care. So indeed that they can do good because that's why most of the students are, are taking this course and are studying what they're studying at the Graduate Institute. Yeah, I, I think in, in my sort of limited <laughs> in experience in, in this sector, and even beyond the international sector, but into the nonprofit sector in general, as you said, there is, there is an instinct to kind of hide some behaviors behind this idea that we are just, we're here to do good. This is a nonprofit organization or, or I am, I'm here to do positive work. And so if I, it's my intentions that matter, it's maybe not the impact that matters. And, and there's not a lot of questioning of the invisible knapsack to borrow, to borrow a term from white supremacy education. I'm, I'm curious about in your research and experience, in what ways have you seen quote unquote, do gooders do more harm than good? This is such a good question, and we only have half an hour together. So I think it would be helpful to, to talk about where I came from. And all of this, of course, is just based on, on my own experience in the world. Um, but after I had finished my master's uh, way back in 2000, and, 
And two, my job, it was in conflict management. And I was off and quite quickly got into work with the United Nations, with UNICEF, doing humanitarian work um, from New York to Liberia. That then led me to peacekeeping work in the Congo, um, which ended up sort of being where I spent the next 10 years of, of my life. And my work as a protection professional, as a child protection professional, sort of came with this, 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 this capacity to say, look, we're here to protect children. And so in, in and of itself, that is sort of a universal uh, good. There's not many uh, people who I think who would disagree with, we need to protect children and, and keep them safe and offer them the very best possible uh, opportunities that are available to them. But doing child protection work in a conflict zone is of course fraught. Um, and so here I went with my good intentions and with my normative backpack in, in this sense. So the Convention on the Rights of the Child and all of the wonderful instruments that have uh, developed over the years, over decades of, of truly hard work, maybe even over a century of people working to protect human rights on a universal sense. And so there I was doing this kind of work, trying to get children out of the armed groups, into school, you know, responding to the worst violations that were happening against them. And yet not ever actually addressing the root causes. Why was it that children were still being recruited? Why was it the violations were still happening against them? And so here I was offering these quite superficial responses um, that were kind of the easy and often technical responses. So you get the child out of the armed group and then you, you know, quote, quote, reintegrate them into civilian life. Well, what is that civilian? And that civilian is in many places of the world still today, deeply unequal, uh, lacking in opportunities, lacking the chance to indeed fulfill oneself as, as we all um, want to be fulfilled and as the universal conventions and human rights hope that we will be able to fulfill ourselves. And so what I saw was this whole international architecture sort of spinning and working hard and generating funding and writing the reports, but never actually going to the, the reality of why these situations are happening as they are. Um, and so this is what my work has since become is the uncovering of what is actually not being done. Um, so we can spend, you know, billions upon billions of dollars each year claiming to be protecting, helping, responding uh, to, to the worst violations in the world, but indeed very little is changing. Um, and why isn't that changing? And this is what we're looking at in the course. We're trying to unpack, well, what is it? And, and once you start unpacking and, and, and investigating, well, why are these conditions not changing despite the decades and the billions um, that are being dedicated to redressing these injustices and inequalities, we start seeing that it's a much more personal story. Um, this is a personal story about how we live in our privilege and in our comforts in the wealthy parts of the world, or indeed in wealthy parts of, of any society. Um, that how we consume is also part of what's driving these inequalities. So my capacity to have this conversation with you on my laptop um, is as much a part of the story of the, the young miner in Eastern Congo sort of eking out his survival for less than a dollar a day so that he can get the cassiterite that's going to be used to to make the battery that is going to allow us to have this nice long conversation. Um, so it's it's this kind of realization that me as an individual, I am part of this bigger global story of of suffering and inequality. Um, 
that might feel quite overwhelming. Um, so what the students and I are working on in this course is, is to not take this as this huge sort of debilitating worry or guilt, which often the, the do-gooders quote unquote end up feeling, but rather to, to just get meticulous about understanding what are the mechanisms that are there? What is my place? And then when you start understanding the mechanisms, then that gives us sort of a place for action. It allows us to, to see that the choices that we make actually do make a difference. And the choices are small. And many small choices end up to something to be something bigger on my level. And then in the 30 of us who are in the class, and then on we go in, in quite uh, growing and hopefully eventually exponential ways. That definitely seems like a more sort of generative response than the, than the critical paralysis that accompanies the realization that your entire life is is globally interconnected in these ways as you said with suffering with inequality to 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 try to look at it in a way of okay knowing this where can we go from here and one thing that i find interesting that i'm i'm curious to get your take on too is is that it's often so much just the definitions that we that we carry from from our cultures from from our sort of vantage points or perspectives that can kind of interrupt our understanding right uh, there's there's a event during geneva peace week that's around kind of discussing the concepts of climate action and how that may mean one thing to me in switzerland and it means a completely different thing to an indigenous climate activist in brazil or even the definitions of what is well-being, what is equality, what does prosperity for my community mean, can mean such a different thing to me than to someone else. And that can sort of get in the way of, of, our, of our critical understanding of, of the world and, and of different people in these different sort of chains of, of connection. I don't know if you've observed any anything along those lines in, in your work, but it's just something I've been pondering for a while now. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And because we each are having our own experiences and and in this in in this course with the students, we look at this question of doing no harm. Um, and so this was the big the big sort of mm, trope that occupied the humanitarian world for much of the 90s and early 2000s. So are we doing harm by our actions? And then, of course, the, the thinking, the visionary thinkers in, in the field start saying, yes, we are, so how can we do less harm? And I think this notion of doing less harm is, is much more helpful um, because in it comes a, a notion that what we do doesn't exist in a vacuum. Um, and so it helps us to just just be reflexive, to think about, okay, this is what I'm doing. And, and we talked about, you mentioned earlier about intention. It comes from a place of, of, of caring and compassion and empathy. Um, but with that, we have to also add this self-reflexivity. Okay, so could there be harms of this and what might they be? Because we're all dealing with different situations. Um, very much of this doing good story is about um, privilege, you know? So if you have the capacity to quote unquote do good, you know, there comes a, a great uh, mm, privilege of being able to, to step out of it once it gets too compromised. And I think, again, this kind of honest reflect, and it's not to say don't do it, but just to be aware that there could be consequences that are not those that were intended. Um, with the climate action, for example, so here in, in Europe, we're all going for electric cars, they're better for the environment. 
Well, in conflict zones like the Congo, um, this drive for the lithium ore, which comes from the cassiterite, is perhaps just going to deepen the cycles of violence that have always been there because the bigger system of extractive mining has not been dealt with. So here we are with our good intentions on our side to help the environment um, that indeed are just making life more hard for, for the young miner who's, who's digging it all out. So just to be aware of that, and, and the more we can, can know about it and the more we can share the information, and, and in 2020 we are at a place where we should be able to know that, then together we can come up with solutions that, that indeed do less harm. Um, but that takes that takes a commitment. It takes a lot of work. You know how how do we how do we unshroud these often invisible dynamics of of extraction um, of collaboration that we didn't know if we should have been doing, and so that takes big efforts. And for those of us who are in positions of privilege, we have the capacity to do those efforts. The donors, the NGOs who are working very committedly, often giving their lives to, to addressing these issues, we have the privilege to be able to do it, and so we should. Um, which then leads us to this question of accountability. Very much of what we do in the humanitarian aid and, and peacebuilding sector is, is not very accountable. Again, this problem of doing good, it kind of excuses us uh, from being accountable. So why, in any other sector, you, you would have to be accountable. You would be held to account for, well, this hasn't worked, and then what? Um, so what we can try to do is to hold ourselves to account. When projects don't work, then what? Who is held responsible? Um, and you see a whole uh, constellation of you know, evaluations and monitoring reporting that are coming up. And that kind of starts getting there, um, but we're not there yet. And this is where transparency comes into to, to the discussion. So if we want to be uh, transparent about our failures, then we're going to be able to get better about the solutions. Um, People are not so willing to be transparent about the failures because, and again, it's, it's complicated. So this, this sector is competing with others and there is already a great force of cynicism and will to say, well, this isn't doing good enough anyway, so why don't you just stop doing what you're doing? And so we're in this sort of interplay. You want to be honest and you want to learn lessons, but at the same time, if you're explicit about what's not working, then sort of the quote unquote haters uh, might just shut you down in the first place. And wouldn't that be more uh, detrimental to what we're trying to do in the first place? So it's pretty complicated. Um, what can we then do together collectively? And, and I do believe that we have the capacity to, to think through these ethical questions together. And we must, we actually must do this together. And this is part of what you're doing, Annika, what this podcast is about as well, what the class is about um, too. So there's an element of sort of, you know, let's do this together and let's, let's, um, let's know that it's going to take time. So a little bit of the humility as well, that this is not sure. something we're going to solve very quickly. Sure. Oh, there's so much to unpack there. I just, I'm like taking notes. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm so, I'm so curious and, I, and I'm, I'm really resonating with this idea of doing less harm. It actually reminds me of the concept. I don't know if you've heard of, of instead of saying, oh, this is a safe space. We say this is a safer space. Um, and both of them seem to be so much more realistic and somewhere in that 
realism, there's actually, there's room, there's room for effort, right? Like instead of saying we do no harm or this is a safe space, then there, it, it kind of almost comes back to that transparency question. Is there actually room for failure? And, and clearly, obviously we're not in, in, in sort of this, this um, effort towards doing less harm. We, we are, we are taking every action, but if we sort of start with the idea that we can do absolutely no harm, then that really, as you said, sort of sets up the haters to say, well, see, you failed. And, and so we're going to shut it down. And, and so to say, this is our, this is our goal that we are striving towards. It opens space for conversation. It opens space for transparency. And I think that's absolutely key. I also wanted to, your, your comment about accountability also reminded me that this, this comes back, back actually to the, the name of your course, which is uh, ethics, power, and privilege. And accountability is really a question of power, right? We are accountable usually to the people with power. And in this case, often it's our donors. Often it's these major international organizations when in reality, there should be more accountability to, to people, um, to humans, to human relationships and to human lives. Um, and so it is this greater, it's engaging these greater systemic questions. I'm wondering if in all of this, you have any, any ideas of hard or soft skills that are needed to work ethically in the world. If you have any ideas for people listening to this thinking, okay, now what do I do with this? How do I build skills around this? What a good question, Anika, and, and great analysis of what I've just sort of rambled on about before. So we can, we still have a lot to unpack together. Um, so it comes back to this question of uh, safer space that you, you mentioned. And again, that feels, that resonates, that feels good. But we all know to enter this safe or safer space, everybody has to kind of play by this, this, this value of safety. And so what is missing, I feel, is that there's a lack of trust. There's a lack of trust that, okay, I can be vulnerable. I can tell you what's not working. Um, I can tell you that this is a challenge, but I can only tell you that if you are also ready to hear me. And if you too are willing to come in with your vulnerability and to, to, to know that this is a shared, a shared vulnerability, and only then can it truly become a safer space. And that is where we're both relinquishing power, right? And so with, with the architecture of the international system, there is so much power that is related to funding. So with the donors and, and you know, the organizations and the individuals who are trying to implement that the power just dominates. So it doesn't ever truly allow for, for this, this safer place of discussion. It could be. So if we could sort of humanize the big bureaucracies that are the UN, that are the donors, because every individual that we're working with indeed is, is coming from that same human place as we are. Um, so where can we create these safer spaces where, you know, our counterpoint in X ministry, who is the one deciding the budgeting envelope, can talk in a vulnerable way and not be worried about their promotion um, or that their end of year um, disbursement figures? Um, where can we increase in, in how we design the entire industry can be sort of honest, safe spaces for reflection actually happen. 
And some, some donors do do it, some organizations do do it, but not enough, not enough at all. This has to happen much more and much, concert, much more concertedly again and linked it to this accountability questioning. Um, you know, since the World Humanitarian Summit years ago, there has been a lot of talk about accountability, about transparency, about listening to the local voices. But we're still very far away from, from what actually could uh, happen and what needs to happen. So in terms of like the toolkit of how do we do it? So in how do we actually go about um, the skills? What are the skill sets that we need to make this happen? So one is, is this commitment to, to staying honest, you know, staying honest and calling out the, the, the dishonesties and the uh, untransparent moments whenever we can. That takes courage. So maybe it means not uh, getting promoted. You know, maybe it means taking some risks. Uh, what I hope to do with my work and with the class is that we know that we're acting in this space and we're not alone. Um, and I feel that working with you, Annika, at the, at the peace building platform and with our whole team, we are doing this and we're holding ourselves and our team to account. And that is part of our work ethic as a team, as the Geneva peace building platform, as what we're trying to do for Geneva Peace Week. Um, in the class that we can all be doing it with each other and reminding each other that it is possible that we can do it. Um, so that's part of it, having courage and to have courage, but to know we're not being courageous by ourselves. And I think that is really important, which is also part of why this podcast is, is part of that bigger effort, this generative effort of trying to make this whole system more honest and more accountable. And then there are other skills. Uh, I can go on. You see, such a good question. I could just talk. Please about. do. No, please. <laughs> and there's these these elements. Okay, so again, this notion of safer space that you bring up. So that means also listening, and deeply listening, and truly listening. So if we go back to this question of accountability, who are we accountable? Upwards to the donors, or downwards to the people that. By the way, we ourselves in our positions of power have mandated ourselves to help. This is, this is another question because how many people on the ground in whichever village that we're so, how many people have actually said, here, will you come and do this for me? It's very rare that that has happened. Usually it's here, we have this for you, would you like it? And then again, so this is where the sort of the distortion effect of relationships sort of come back and forth. Um, if we're actually going to listen to the people that we are mandating ourselves to help, well, usually they're going to say something different from what we have designed in our project proposal. Um, and how adaptive can we be? So on a personal level, this skill of listening is, is important from an organizational um, point of view. So people will know the answers to the struggles in their lives or have a pretty good sense of what those answers should be. So are we humble enough to listen to what they're saying? And can we sort of re-adjust uh, our programs, redesign so that what we're wanting to offer, which ultimately is sort of a better life, more dignity, uh, more possible future outcomes, can we realign to actually fit what they would need rather than what our organization thinks they need, rather than what the donor is telling us that we need to offer? I completely forgot what I was going to say because that was so poignant. <laughs> Go figure. Skills, we're still looking at skills. So this is a work in progress, right? So for me, I've, I've honesty, uh, sort of the solidarity, uh, the skill of like sharing and helping each other, uh, courage to do that, and then listening, listening deeply. Those for me right now are the skills that I'm working on as well. There are others, surely. Um, 
Right. And also this ability to understand that it's a work in progress, right? That we don't sort of arrive there tomorrow. But also, I think one of the most brilliant things that I've I've learned in my young career is this idea that we need to both assume positive intent, but also take ownership for impact, right? So we know that we're not going to arrive there tomorrow. So, and, and we do have the most positive intentions, but we also really need to own the impact. And this comes to the most sort of in, small interpersonal level. If I, if I do something that offends you, or if I, I speak to you aggressively or something, I, you, it's, it's on you sort of to assume positive intent, you know, for me that I'm not waking up in the morning saying, how can I ruin Claudia's life? And, but it's on me to own the impact, right? It's on me to turn around and say, I see that this is what the impact that my actions had on you. And I apologize. And I think it, we need to carry the same sort of spirit into our work. We know that we're not going to arrive to, to our sort of goals tomorrow and that we need to carry around the spirit of goodwill and positive intent, but we really need to radically account for our actions and, and, and for the impact that they have. Uh, and, and therefore this idea of doing it in community is so much better. I love learning about social movements and, and how, how far sort of collective will can go clearly with strategic direction and, and, and everything, but how, how much stronger we are um, working towards a goal when, when we aren't doing it alone. Absolutely. And, and here we are, here we are having this conversation and that's going to just get me through the rest of, rest of this day um, because you and I were on this and we're doing this. And, and then we, we expand to our circles of our colleagues and our friends and our, and our co-students uh, um, and the community of the Graduate Institute. And, and, and you know, so this is, this is this beautiful sort of expanding outwards of the light kind of, kind of notion. Yeah, we need to have these conversations. That's, that's just the key. Find each other and we're in it. And, and you bring this thing about the impact. Indeed, that can be very heavy. And that can be very heavy to bear, which is why this working together is, is so important. Um, and with this notion of impact, because then people like you and like me, this becomes very heavy and it, it can be debilitating and it can lead to burnout. Um, so this is another thing that I'm working with in this class with the students is, is just to stay, to stay small, to keep it personal, know that, you know, that next right thing is what you can do and that is enough. And if we each do that next right thing, um, enough of us do it, then, then the burden becomes a lot more bearable. Um, so with that also is a, a humility that we actually cannot make this big, massive impact. And back to the, your first question about why this class, because I wish someone had told me this 20 years ago. You know, I wish someone had said, great, it's good you want to do what you're doing in the world. Go for it. The world needs it. Here are some things that you need to protect yourself. Here are some skills that will help make this um, more impactful, uh, healthier, more balanced. Uh, and this is what I'm sharing with, with the students in this class. And this is, again, why I feel this is an ethical obligation for those of us who have done it to then share with, with the next generation um, so that we can just do it better. Absolutely. And it comes back to, as you said, this meticulous awareness and, and doing that next right thing together. Is there anything else you want to say to the listeners? Goodness. <laughs> what, a, 
what a bag of possibility. So if I'm assuming the listeners are part of our uh, Geneva Peace Building Platform Graduate Institute community, but maybe others, it's, yeah, it's just to, to keep going, to not lose faith. Here we are. It's it's October 2020. The The world is kind of confronting some some pretty dark and scary possibilities. And so I think that we need to, to be very proactive and to be engaged, um, that we have the skills, we can do it. We, we're, we are not going to uh, just let sort of the darker forces of geopolitics and, and trade and all that comes into what we can see on any headlines of any news uh, program on any given day, that, that there is possibility that we can make a difference, uh, that making this difference is small, um, that it's possible, but together in this collective action sense, it, it really can do something. So I would say just keep going and, and also do, do it in the way that is authentic to yourself. Find that thing that, that is your passion um, and then go with that. And once you're in that space, the, 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 what you hear back and what you feel back, it will just kind of, it'll kind of generate itself and it will, it will be true. And that's what we need most of in this world. Claudia, thank you so much. Oof, this is an essential conversation. If anybody wants to learn more from you, do you have a website they can visit? How can people see where you are on the internet? Thank you, Annika. And the feeling is, is mutual. So I have a website. It's www.claudiaseymour.net. And there, there is, you can access, you know, what I've written about in my research. There is a blog and with a guest blog option. So some of the younger scholars and great visionaries of, you know, the world today are sending in their guest blog entries. So I am very happy to, to post other entries of young thinkers who are working to transform violence. So the blog is about transforming violence and the actions of our everyday that can do that. On that site, you can purchase my book, you can join my yoga classes. Um, so yeah, send, send me a message on there or by email at the Graduate Institute. And I'd be very happy to continue the discussions. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time and energy. Thank you for asking the questions and for listening and for engaging with me as well. Mm, beautiful. Thanks for joining us for this installment of the Geneva Peace Week podcast series. Don't forget to subscribe, rate the podcast, and leave a review about something you learned. You can also visit our website to continue the conversation with the makers of this episode. Or join us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Geneva Peace Week. Above all, thank you for being here, and we hope you'll join us again for another episode.